Just starting out faith or maybe coming back to church. I know that is many of you coming back to church, maybe after being out of it for a while and you're kind of interested in, man, what would life with Jesus look like? How would it change things? How would it connect with me and my heart and my emotions and my problems and all, all the different areas? Then that is really what Luke is about. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you want to really begin to examine the life of Jesus, not begin, but look at the life of Jesus again and see what does it mean to have all of my life connected to all of Jesus' life. So that's what we are talking about. That's what we've been looking at. And um, this will really carry us through most of the year. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will uh, jump into our time. Father, I I ask that you would open our hearts now, and that you would help us to see what you want us to see, that you would speak to each person in here today. I know that you... Uh, brought us here, and I know that you have something for us today. I know this is not wasted time. I know that you uh, see the various things, and you see the people, and you want something for us today. And so I pray that you would speak to us, we would hear your voice, and you would help me to communicate your word, and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Why are you here? And I don't mean on earth as some giant existential question, but why are you here Today, maybe somebody dragged you here, but if not, you're you're here for some reason. You you decided that church meant something to you, that faith meant something to you. And I I don't know what that is. It could be a lot of different reasons that you are here. Maybe you are looking for friendship. You're looking for community, and and maybe this is a place that that can be found. Maybe you're looking to grow in your relationship with God. It's it's that kind of direct. Or or maybe it's that you just kind of feel some pain in your life, and you wonder if faith, if God, if church can be a part of helping that in in some way, but, but, but the end of the day, there's some reason that you're here. You want something. You want something. There's some pain in your life that maybe you hope for relief or some positive kind of longing in your life to be closer to God or closer to other people or, or uh, strengthen your family or, or something, but there's something that you want that brought you here and that you feel like in some way can't be found in other things. There's all sorts of good things in life. I mean, you might have a hard day and think you need some ice cream or, or think you need to kind of just chill out and watch some Netflix for a little bit or, or drink a glass of wine or, or go on a run or something, right? There's all sorts of things that we go to in life, but, but you want something and you believe in some way, you believe in some way that it can't be found in other things and you want it in God, in Jesus, in church, in faith, and in, in something like that. And, and I don't know what it is for you. Maybe, maybe you are exploring. You're exploring in life, and you're kind of exploring in faith, and, and you're kind of unsure, but something brought you here. And maybe it's just kind of tradition. And you might not even think of that, it, it that way, but there's just kind of an unconscious sort of, okay, I'm supposed to be in church for some reason. I'm supposed to be here and, and it's, it'll fix and help something. There's just kind of an unconscious uh, propelling that leads you here. Or maybe it's very conscious. Maybe it's a, I need God, I need people, and so I'm going to be here. I, I don't know what it is, but, but we all are here for some reason. We want something. There's something either displeasure or something that we want to get to, and we hope, we believe that something here can be a part of that. And it's important then for us to say, so what does Jesus himself even say that he offers? If, if we think, man, I want something in life, and whether that's to get rid of pain or add some sort of pleasure, and I'm coming to God for it, I'm what does Jesus say he actually even brings? You know, when people are campaigning for political office, they announce, here's what I'm about. Here's what I will bring. Here's what I'm going to do. And then Followers kind of are attracted to that because they say, okay, I'll show up because I want that. Uh, let, me, let me show you kind of a handful of kind of campaign slogans, and this is not meant to be political in any way. I'll show you a representation of people. It's just to kind of say that people say, hey, this is what I'm about, and people are drawn to that. So here's Bernie. I think he's actually here today. Uh, not here, like, oh, hey, Mr. Bernie, but um, I don't know if he goes by Mr. Bernie, but uh, I think he's in Denver actually today. Uh, but he, his campaign slogan is, not me, us. 
So if you're somebody that wants us-ness, if you want sort of um, a, a collective uh, thing, then that's what he is saying. Here's what I bring. I bring us. That's what I'm about. Okay, and uh, this is Joe Biden. No malarkey. So if you just want, <laughs> that's his real slogan. I thought that was a joke at first, actually. <laughs> and I was like, is that Photoshop? But that's real. And his, his slogan is to say, look, we've got so much BS in this world. We've got so much just, you know, untruths floating out there. I'm going to bring no malarkey. If you want malarkeylessness, that's what I offer. And this one is so simple, I just have to love it. It's Michael, get it done. That doesn't matter what it is. Need something fixed? Michael, get it done. Country, Michael, get it done. And Mike Bloomberg's campaign slogan is Michael, get it done. If you, maybe you feel like, man, nothing ever goes anywhere in our country. He's campaigning on the flat platform to say, here's what I'm about. I will get it done. Okay? Not a bad slogan, very simple. Uh, obviously, President Trump, uh, his, his slogan last year was make America great again. Or not last year, maybe it was last year, but four years ago, make America great again. Now it's keep America great. So if you want American greatness, he is saying that is what I bring. I will make America great. I will keep America great. My favorite campaign slogan is this one, which is make America great Britain again. That is the best. Uh, some of you probably particularly identify with that, and uh, it's, you know, maybe, maybe that is what we need. Who knows? Make America Great Britain again. All our tea can be very expensive, and, uh, you know, whatever. Okay, so what is it that Jesus says he brings? What would life with Jesus be? If Jesus had a campaign slogan, if he said, here's what I'm about, is it Jesus will get it done? Is it Jesus, no malarkey? What, what? When Jesus comes, what does he say? Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm about. Here's what I'm going to bring. You're here for something, right? You want something. And something in you says, maybe Jesus has it, maybe God has it, maybe faith has it, maybe church has it. We should look and say, what does Jesus say his slogan is? What does he say that he's about? What does he bring? What does he want to do for you? And how do we get that? What's the, what's the, what's the campaign slogan and what's the platform that he is running on. Really, that's what we're going to look at today. And we start with this question, which is, what does Jesus bring into your life? What does Jesus say that he brings into your life? What does he want for you, for us to experience? So we will look at this. This is if you've been here, if you haven't been here, that's fine. You can catch up online if you want to, or you can just uh, skip it. But let me just give you a quick recap, which is that Jesus, uh, is, his birth is prophesied, he's born, and then he, um, he is baptized. Then he goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by Satan for, for 40 days, and, and nothing has really happened yet. So Jesus is about 30 years old in his life, and we don't get any miracles that he's done, any teaching he's done. Nothing has really happened yet. So today is after the baptism, after the temptation, this is really the first that Jesus is on the scene where we go, okay, so we kind of been waiting. You're 30 now. Maybe you have parents that are kind of like this. You're 30 now. What's going on in your life? And Jesus is showing up and he's saying, here's now what I'm about. Here's what I'm doing. Okay, so let's, let's look at what he says. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, goes back to his hometown, and as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, this is not what this sermon is about, but I do want to give you a quick aside really quick. The synagogue was basically the Jewish church. If you couldn't go to the main temple, every kind of local area had their own uh, synagogue. And this is just a quick side, and you're here, so you know this isn't, this isn't for you, but uh, it just kind of does tell us how important it is to actually gather with God's people, how important going to church is. Sometimes people think that, ah, you know, going to church isn't that important. I can read my Bible. I can listen to a sermon online. But, you know, if Jesus thought that it was important for him, as usual, to be a part of listening to God's word preached and being with God's people, how much more, if Jesus thought, man, that mattered, how much more for us? How much more for us? Sometimes we think, especially in 2020, and if you're young, maybe if you're a millennial and you're kind of like, oh, you know, church is just, that's man-made. Me and God, we connect in the mountains, man. Like if that's kind of what you think, Jesus didn't think that. Jesus thought, I need to gather at the synagogue. Okay, so again, I'm not, that's not for you. You're here, but tell your friends, you know, that are, <laughs> that are celebrating President's Day. Okay, so as usual, they're at the Bernie Sanders thing, okay? So as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. 
the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. So this is from Isaiah, and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, end quote. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And they would preach sitting down, which I, maybe in 20 years I'll start doing that. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. Okay, so he, pre, he, he gives this as his text, and then he sits down, and everyone's looking at him. And he began by saying to them, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Today as you listen, this scripture that he just read, this is happening today. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. So at first he senses this amazement and then he can kind of sense maybe there's a turning of the tide and this is summarized. So he, might, he probably preached like a longer sermon and then, um, and, and then this is kind of what he begins to sense. And he says, no doubt you're gonna quote this to me. Dr. Heal yourself means, look, if, you, if, you can, if you've got this power, if you're this person that's going to do this, then you know, take care of yourself and take care of your hometown first. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, another city, do here in your hometown also. He also said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown, which is you know, this isn't, you know, I don't know if you've had this experience, but sometimes you go back to where you're from or you go back, maybe you're a big shot now, right? You've gotten a bunch of promotions. Maybe, maybe life is going well. Maybe you've made money. Maybe people respect you. Maybe you've got several employees. I, I don't know. Like maybe life has gone well, but you go back to your hometown and you're still just, you're still just Joe, right? You're still just the guy that everyone's like, oh, I remember what you did in high school. And you're like, man, I can't outlive that. Like, there's no honor in my hometown. Or maybe you feel like with your family, like you've got all this respect here, and you, but your family, you're still just like their little kid. They're, you're just their little girl, their little boy. And you're like, oh, okay, I, I, I still have a twin mattress, you know, that I have to stay on, you know? And you're like, I, I've kind of gotten a little further than that in life. And Jesus is saying no prophet is accepted in his hometown. This is his hometown he's speaking to. And at first it seems like they're kind of into it and then it, the tide changes. But I say to you, so he's saying this related to no, prophets, no, prophet is, uh, no prophet gets honor in their hometown. I say to you this, there were certainly many widows. So now he's going to quote from some stories that happened in the Old Testament. There were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day. Elijah's one of the great Old Testament prophets, did many miracles, and when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, while a great famine came all, uh, over all the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So he's saying there's these, there's these different things that happened in the Old Testament with God's people, and God sent the prophet not to Israel, but to the pagans to those that were Gentiles, to those that were not ethnically or religiously Israel. He sent them to somebody else. There's all these widows suffering, and God doesn't send them to his own people, religiously, ethnically, but sends them actually to someone else. Doesn't send them to the Israelites, sends them to the Syrian. Now, when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, I maybe have preached some bad sermons. I, I think they're pretty good, but it's never gotten this bad. None of you have ever been like, okay, conveniently, the school's actually on a hill right over here. Let's throw him off. That's never happened. But for Jesus, he preaches and everyone's like, oh man, this is so good. And then it starts to move as, as Jesus progresses in the sermon and tells them a little bit more and they freak out. Now, this does give us, though, what Jesus wants to bring into your life. This tells us what Jesus brings into your life. What, what is Jesus' campaign slogan? What is it that he's about? What does he announce? You want something, which is why you're here. What does Jesus want? What does he want to do? What does he want to bring into your life? Now, oftentimes, think about religion 
think about faith, think about church, oftentimes we think of it in a way where we think maybe what it's mainly about is self-improvement. Maybe what religion, what faith, what church, what God, the Bible, Jesus, etc., what that's about is it might improve my life some. I need to kind of get my act together. I need to get back to church. I need to get more serious, and, and I need to improve my life. Or, or maybe it's not necessarily that. It's, it's more along the lines of faith is going to help me um, uh, just kind of follow the tradition and the culture I've been raised with. Maybe that's mainly what religion is. And, and with either of those things, it often feels to people, and I'm sure you have felt this at some point if we're, if we're honest, it often feels like a burden. It often feels restrictive. It often feels like something that if we are willing to sort of self-sacrifice or kind of man up or woman up or just kind of get our act together, then okay, I can get serious about faith. But if we're honest, it can feel like it's a burden. It's restrictive. It's something that is for the serious. And yet Jesus says something very different. He says that what he comes to bring is good news. What Jesus says that he comes to bring is God's favor. He said that in his quote in Isaiah that he uses as his campaign slogan, he says that he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he says, today, this is happening. I have come to proclaim God's favor to you. And this is alluding to a concept in the Old Testament of the Jubilee year, which was that every 50 years, anyone that was in slavery or anyone that was in economic debt, that was taken away. It was gone. They were released. They were freed. And Jesus shows up and says, I am here to announce you. Do you want to know what I'm about? It's not no malarkey. It's not I'm going to get it done. It's not us. It is I come to bring God's favor. Not some restrictive thing. Not some burden thing. I don't come to say, get your act together and you can do this. And, and come on, let's all get serious about God. He says, I come to tell you God's favor. That's what Jesus says he's about. I don't know why you're here. I don't know what it is that you want. But what Jesus says that he wants to bring into your life is God's favor, God's freedom. And then he goes through several different things that I think are, we can kind of, in some ways they're all similar, but we can kind of look at each one. He says that he comes to bring good news. He comes to preach good news to the poor. Now, the poor can be an economic, social condition that you find yourself in or that people found themselves in. It can also be a spiritual condition that we find ourselves in where we realize and sense and know our need. There's a need that we feel, an emptiness that we feel. And, that, and Jesus says to people that are poor, he doesn't say, I come to make them rich. I come to, I come to you know, get ready. It's gonna, I'm going to blow up your wealth. He says, I come to preach good news to the poor, those that feel empty, those that feel lacking, those that feel destitute, whether because their actual economic condition or just whatever it is in life, I come for you, I come to bring good news to you, to fill you. And then he says that he comes to proclaim release to the captives. Come to proclaim release to the captives. Now that word release, even shows us that this is really mainly giving us a spiritual metaphor because the word is aphesin, aphesin, which means throughout the rest of Luke when he writes it, and, and he also, Luke also writes Acts, and when he writes that book, it's used as the word for forgiveness. Because if you think about the concept of forgiveness, it really is a concept of release. And so when he says that he comes to proclaim release to the captives, it doesn't mean that Jesus is going to go to all the jail cells and open them up. He is saying, I come to bring release to those enslaved in their sin. Listen, you, you know this, that sin can be like slavery, that sin can be like captivity. Sin, and some of you probably feel this even more acutely than others, where there's a cycle of enslavement. There's a cycle of captivity for sin. You want something, you do it, and then you feel shame. And then you feel guilt and you're stuck in it and you're down and you say, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try better. But the burden of that and the weight of that often moves you to want some sort of relief and you want 
the sin again, and you do it, and then you feel guilt, and then you feel shame, and then you say, I'm going to do better, and I'm going to try harder, and the weight of that and the weight of life leads you again, and it's a captivity. And this can be true with all sorts of things. This is true with addiction. It's often true with pornography. It's often true with just even just overworking. I mean, all, all sorts of things where we know, I don't want this. And yet we feel captive to it. We feel enslaved to it. People use that language, and Jesus says that he comes to bring release for the captives, forgiveness for the captives, and deliverance out of that cycle. Then he says that he comes to bring sight to the blind. You know, the Bible teaches very often that we are blind. We're blind in some ways. And the hard part about being blind is you don't know that you're blind, right? The areas that you're blind, you can't say, no, I'm not blind. If You're blind, if that's true. We're often blind to ourself. We're often blind to our own issues. Sometimes other people see them clearly. They see your blind spots, but inherently you can't see your blind spots. We are blind to ourselves often. Not just blind to ourselves, we're blind to others. Don't we judge people all the time? And maybe we're blind to the good that's actually in them. Don't we kind of complain and moan all the time about other people and see their faults often more clearly than we see? And it's, it's, look, isn't it way easier to see other people's faults than it is to see their good? Now, come on, if you're a mathematician, it's statistically it's impossible that everyone is so awful that their faults are way outweighing the good, and yet it's way easier to see people's, it's way easier to see people's faults. Because we're blind. We're blind to ourselves. All you gotta do is watch talent shows or American Idol or something and go, people are blind to themselves, right? We're blind to ourselves. We're blind to other people. We're blind to the world. I mean, we're blind to the needs in the world around us. We're blind to the goodness in the world around us. We're blind all the time. We're blind to God. Like we're, we're blind to God. We think wrongly about who God is. And that can be all sorts of things. I mean, I could preach a whole sermon on our spiritual blindness, that we are blind to God. We're blind to who God is and what he's like and what he wants to do and his character. And we're blind even to purpose and intention of life. We've got the, I was talking to someone uh, recently, he was talking about the American dream, you know, and how this, this dream that's like, Here, here's what you need to do and you need to go after this and, and how that can actually be so enslaving and devastating and actually hurtful to many people. Because you don't always get all your dreams and you can't always follow your heart and often there's obstacles in the way and often all that stuff that you're after and pursuing isn't, isn't what God would have us pursue anyway. But if that is a vision that we all collectively as a society have, there's a blindness there. We're blind. We're blind to ourselves. We're blind to other people. We're blind to the world. We're blind to God. We're blind. And Jesus says, look, I've come to, I've come to give you sight. I've come to give you... Have you ever seen those videos of... Um, I guess I was kind of thinking of two different videos. There's like babies that are almost blind and, and they get these little baby glasses and they put the glasses, if, if you haven't seen them and you need like some cute in your life, you know, go Google blind baby gets glasses, okay? And they get these glasses and all of a sudden they're just like super smiling and, or sometimes you see the ones with colorblind people and they're colorblind and they get glasses and all of a sudden they're like, whoa! Like to actually have sight restored Jesus says, I come to, I, here's what I'm about. I come to release captives. I come to bring good news to the poor. I come, I come to bring sight to the blind. Spiritually, and Jesus did that with people physically. And then, and then it says that he comes to, he says, to set free the oppressed. Think about that word even, oppressed. It's got the word press in it. You think about being pressed. You think about just kind of the, the pushing in and sometimes life feels like that and you want to, you can't, you want to break out. You can't, whatever it is that's pressed you in, suffering in your life, financially in your life, abuse in your life, 
victims that are of systemic injustice in our society. You feel pressed in and you want to, I don't know if you saw that video of the guy behind the woman in the airplane and he's like punching her seat. I don't know if you saw that this week and she filmed him and he's clearly in the wrong. But sometimes your life, maybe you feel like that. Just like I'm pressed in and I need to break out of this. How can I get free? Whatever, whatever cause that is, whatever has pressed you down, Jesus, um, Jesus says, I, I come to free the oppressed. Whatever suffering you've experienced, whatever systemic issues you've experienced, whatever abuse you've experienced, whatever economic conditions, what, whatever it is that has caused you to feel pressed in, Jesus says, I want to liberate you. After a long car ride, if you had to sit in the backseat and you get out, oh, you stretch. I want to give you that feeling. I want to give you that. I want to free you from being pressed down. And, and then all of that, Jesus says he wants to bring that for everybody. He comes to bring good news to the poor. He comes to bring release to the captives, sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed. And then he wants to bring that to everyone, which was kind of the point that they wanted to then kill him. Because Jesus says, I'm, I'm here to bring this. And they're kind of like, yeah, that's really good. And he's like, but you know what? I'm going to do this in a bunch of other cities. And then he tells them stories saying, yeah, there was all sorts of stuff going on in Israel and God sent, God sent the prophet to a Syrian. And he's speaking to a group that people that have been chosen by God, they're God's religious people, God's ethnic people. But he is saying, look, even in the Old Testament, God selected people that were on the outside of the wrong race, of the wrong religion, and God brought his grace and his freedom, his sight, his release, his good news to them. And this, they can't handle that. He says that he comes to bring what he comes to bring to everyone, which says, you're, you're included in that. You're included in that. I'm included in that. We're included in this. And here, here's what this means. Here's what Jesus wants to bring into your life. We go through all these specific things, but you know what it means? Jesus sees your life. Some of these maybe you connect with, and maybe some of them you don't. But Jesus sees your life. He sees your struggle. He sees your pain. He sees if you are pressed down. He sees if you are feeling captive to your sin. He sees where you feel like there's a poverty and you need good news. He, he sees where there is blindness in your life that maybe you don't even see, but he, Jesus sees the pain and the hurt and the circumstances and the situations that are happening, the struggles in your life. Where do you feel captive? Where do you feel like, man, I just don't see it. Where do you feel like you are being pressed down? And you can't get out. Where do you feel empty? Jesus sees these things. And what he says that he is about, his campaign, what he comes to bring is he wants to bring favor. He says today is the day that God's favor is coming. It's fulfilled. Here's what God prophesied long ago. I'm here. This is what I'm about. It's fulfilled. That there is no problem outside of his reach. There's no hurt that is outside of his heart. There's no issue that's outside of his ability and his wisdom. There's no pain that's outside of his love. He says, I've come to bring God's favor to you. That's, that's what Jesus wants to bring into your life. How does he do it? How does Jesus do this? How does he bring God's favor? And we see that he leaves this place. They're about to kill him and he supernaturally escapes from there. And then he goes on to live out this mission. And here, here's what happens next. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him 
at all. Amazement came over them all, and they were saying to one another, what is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And news about him begin to go out to every place in their vicinity. After he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. This is Peter. His name hasn't been changed yet. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. As he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Also, demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, it's necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. How does Jesus bring God's favor? We, we see here two different things that he does. The first is that he begins to preach. He begins to preach. He, he, he says, here's what I'm about. I'm about bringing God's favor, freedom, and release. And, and he doesn't start some social organization. He doesn't go to the prisons and open the gates and start handing out money to everybody, which is how we know, in part, that what he is speaking of is a deep spiritual reality, not just the tangible things, although he does do some of that as well. But what Jesus says that he is about is to come and proclaim. When he announced what he's about, he says, I've come to proclaim good news. I've come to, I've come to preach good news. I've come to proclaim release. I've come to preach God's favor. And then he starts coming to these towns, and what he is doing is preaching. Jesus wants to bring God's favor into your life, into my life, into people's lives. And the way that he brings it is a message, which is why people even say, what is this message? See, the way that Jesus brought God's favor was the gospel, the good news. Here is what God is doing. It was through words, which is interesting because he's preaching in church. He's preaching in a synagogue. And there's a man there that is possessed by a demon, which just shows you that not everyone in church is, you know, great. You can turn to your neighbor and say, do you have a demon? No, don't say that. Um, but there's a person in church filled with a demon. And Jesus is, I think this is so interesting. Jesus is preaching, right? He's not coming and saying, hey guys, I'm here to get rid of demons. Everybody come up. If you've got a demon, I'm going to do some exorcisms. That's not what he's doing. He's preaching the good news and the demon takes that as an assault. Jesus is preaching. Presumably the same stuff he was preaching before, saying, I'm here to release captives. I'm here to bring God's favor. And the demon says, leave us alone. Because the way that God brings his favor into people's lives, into your life, into my life, is through his word. It's through preaching the gospel, the good news of who he is and what he wants to do. And that is an assault. That is an attack. The message itself is an attack. And the demons feel, if people get this, listen, even if you were here last week, the great lie that Satan wants to tell is God doesn't love you. The great lie that Satan wants you to believe is God is not for you. And so if Jesus shows up and is able to get you to believe, I've come to bring God's favor. That is an assault on demons. And they say, leave us alone. Because if Jesus can get you to believe that God is favorable towards you, that he wants to do good for you, that begins to break the chains. That begins to release the captives. That begins to open the blind eyes. The way he brings God's favor is the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. Paul in the New Testament later even says that the gospel is the power of salvation. That the good news, that the verbal proclamation is the power of God for salvation. Because it crushes the lies that keep us away from believing. Look, I, I, you know, I can't preach my whole sermon from last week, but think about how much in your life would change if you really believed God is for me and he wants, he wants good for me. He brings it through preaching and then he brings it 
very tangibly through healing. Jesus shows up. Notice that's not what he came to do, though. It's interesting. He comes and he shows up and he preaches, and then people come to him being like, okay, hey, I've got this sick mother-in-law. Hey, I've got these. And people are coming to him asking to be healed. And he does. He heals them. Which means God can and does change real things in your life. He can and does change real things. And you know what I love? It says that, he, that they bring the sick to him. Now, Jesus is Jesus. I, I know that's a simple you know, quote. Jesus is Jesus. He's got power, right? He, he, if, he want, if you all were sick, if you all were a bunch of you know, sick people, Jesus could stand up and go, be healed. And everybody in this room would be healed. He's got the power, right? That's not what he does. It says they bring the sick to him. And, and it's, you know, the way it's talking about it, it's like lots of people, right? And it says he lays his hand on each one of them. He didn't have to do that. But he did that because he's showing this individual love, this individual care, this individual attention, this individual affection. You are not a face in the crowd. You are not a nameless person that's just out there. You are not just one of God's children, one of God's people. You are someone that Jesus looks at and says, I want to bring God's favor into your life. I want to bring God's favor to you. And that comes through preaching and it comes through his healing. And he knows each person's issue and each person's situation and he lays his hand on each one of them. How does he bring his favor? What's his plan to, to make that happen? It's the same today as it was then. It's through preaching and it's through God showing up and healing individual people with individual things going on in their life. Now here's our last question, which is how do we respond to this then? If this is what he's about, if this is what he's come to do, if, if he brings it through this, how do we respond to him? And I want to give you three different things. The first is this. You have to decide on Jesus. You have to decide on him. And I don't mean that if you're, I mean, I do mean that if you're not a Christian, then you've got to decide, man, do I think that this is really who he is? But I, but I don't mean it at the core in that way. And I don't mean it in just some big general life-focused way of you have to decide on Jesus in your life and you say, okay, I've decided Jesus is the one. And then you go about and live your life. I mean today. I mean in the issues that you are facing right now. I mean the struggles that you have right now. I mean in the choices that are before you right now. I mean in the things that, that are that, where you are feeling like you're not sure which way to go or what's going to happen. I, I mean that specifically the challenges that are before you, the stuff that you are facing, you have to decide on Jesus. You have to decide if he's the one that can do something, if he's the one that has the answers, if he's the one that has the wisdom, if he's the one you're going to entrust yourself with, if he's the one. Now listen, here's what can keep you from that. Here's what can keep all of us from this. The first is what happened when he preached in the synagogue. It's familiarity, and we've talked about that before. They said, isn't this, they, listen, they hear the message, and then they go, yeah, but wait, 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 wait. Okay, good, good, yeah, good sermon, good message, but wait a minute. Isn't this old Joe's son? This is old Joe's son. Really? See, familiarity, it isn't, I mean, this is his hometown. We saw him grow up. I remember seeing him get a cold last week. He was sneezing. I, I remember, I, I saw him playing at recess when he, I, I mean, I saw him the other day. I mean, this is Joe's son. Really? He's the one that says, today it's fulfilled, released from the captive. You see, familiarity can be one of the biggest things that keeps us from Jesus. And, and, and that's not just true for them then. Maybe you grew up in church your whole life. Maybe right now you've got things that you are struggling with. And how easy is it to be like, oh, okay, oh, read the Bible, that's what I need to do? Oh, pray, that's what'll fix it? 
It's so easy to be so familiar with God, to be so familiar with Jesus, that we no longer think that's where the power or the answers or the wisdom or the help lies for the struggles that we are facing, right? We can be so familiar with God that that we don't even go there. That the first call to action is a therapist or a friend or a parent or, or we're just like freaked out and we go on Netflix or we go for a walk or I need to clear my head or we do all these other things with the issues we're facing because Jesus is so familiar that, yeah, 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 of course. Isn't that Sunday school Jesus? Isn't that the Jesus? Yeah, I know about Jesus. Yeah, didn't I just read about him? Isn't that, isn't that Joe's son? You have to decide on Jesus. It's really easy to miss him because we've become so familiar. Do you feel that in your life? I mean, you have to just, I can't see into your life and you're weak, but is your instinct, I need Jesus. Is your instinct, he's going to be the one that changes this, that helps me with this. Or is it to plan, to fix it, to run away and, and, and get some help over here or to... We can become so familiar that we miss it. You have to decide on him. That's, that's the first thing. But there's another way you have to decide on him too. Or another thing I guess that gets in the way of that is it wasn't just the familiarity. Then they moved to kind of their religiosity. See, they liked what he was saying. They liked the message at first. But then something happened where fear, wait a minute, this is for other people, not just us? And pride, this should be for us. Do in your hometown what, you're gonna, what you did in that other place. What do you mean he went to the Syrian and not to the Jew? You can like what Jesus says. You can hear a sermon. You can read a, a, a part of the Bible and you can like it. And then fear or pride can get in the way of actually saying, I give you my life. I trust you. I've decided you're the one. What fear or pride has gotten in the way of you actually saying, it's you, Jesus? It's you. That's the first thing. Step one of how we respond, how we experience God's favor, how we respond to the fact that he brings this. You have to decide, okay? You have to decide. Am I coming to Jesus? Is he the one that can do this? Is he the one with my issues, with my struggles that can change things? And then say, okay, it's you, Jesus. I surrender it to you. That's number one. Number two is this. Then we actually come to him. First is just kind of a a decision, a heart or mental decision to say, yes, I'm not going to be too familiar. He is the one. But then second is to actually come in need to Jesus. Think about how sad it would be if you were blind, if you're a captive, if you're oppressed, and Jesus says, I've come to deliver, and you go, nah, I'm good, I'm fine, actually. I feel fine. I don't feel too blind. I, you know, my, my pressing down, it's not so bad. The captivity hasn't gotten to the point where I'm, I'm really feeling the pain of it. I think I might be able to break out. Like, think about how sad it would be if, if there's a real need, if there's a real issue in your life, and Jesus says, I want to I change that. And we actually don't come to him. We have to actually come to him instead of dealing it on our own. We have to humbly admit, I'm blind. I'm enslaved. I'm oppressed. I'm poor. We have to be in a humble need and then come to him. What areas in your life need that? What areas in your life Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's particular sin. Maybe it's financially. Maybe it's life choices that you're trying to make. Maybe, like some of the people here, it is demonic. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your health. What are the areas in your life that you're in need? Jesus says, come to me. Decide on me and then come to me. Actually come to me. And, and here's what we come. We come to experience the two things that he brings. We come, we come and need the power of his word in our lives, which might mean to come to him doesn't mean physically to go to him like they did. It might mean to hear his word to us by opening the Bible and reading. It might mean to hear his word to us in community with other people that can speak his word to us. You know that you can read the Bible, but sometimes a friend speaking truth to you is way more powerful 
Maybe that's what it means to come to him to experience his word is the Bible or community or here. To come here. But come ready. Come in a heart that says, I want your word, God. I want you to speak to me. Do you come like that? Do you come in a posture that says, God, I need your word. If that's the thing that brings your favor to me, I need your word. We come to him to experience his word and we come to him and bring our real needs. People had real sick mother-in-law with a fever. I mean, all these friends saying, Jesus, here's my, here's my friend. He's got this sickness. Here's my friend. She's got this sickness. And they bring them to Jesus. Come with your real needs to Jesus. I, I don't know what those are. It could be uh, the spectrum is so big, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, but to come with your real needs to Jesus. And what he says is that he is responsive. I love that everybody brings them to Jesus and he responds to that. He doesn't say, ah, can't, I can't do it. He responds and says, okay. And each person, he puts his hands on them. How we respond is we have to decide on Jesus, number one. And number two is we have to come to him. To come to receive his word and to come to bring our actual needs before him. To come and say, here's my need, Jesus. Help me. And then third, and finally, is we respond by participating with him. See, Jesus did not come just to save people, but to send people. He didn't come just to save, but to send. Jesus says, not just that he comes for the blind and the captives and the oppressed. He says he came to do something in their life. He came to give recovery of sight to the blind. He came to bring release to the captives, good news to the poor, liberty to the oppressed. He came to reverse the conditions. And the passage that he's quoting from in Isaiah, that chapter, if you go back and look at it, what happens then to those people is they become priests of God. And not in the religious occupation sense, but in what a priest's function is, is to represent God to people. So he says, I come to reverse the condition that you're in, not just so that you sit there and enjoy it, but so now something has changed in your life and you actually participate with God in what he's doing. See, Jesus, the way that we respond to what Jesus comes to do, the way we respond to God's favor in our life is to receive it, to bring our need, to decide on him, and then to participate with him. Jesus doesn't just have compassion for you. He has a commission for you. Listen, Jesus did all of this stuff. It says it, he, he, he stands up in front of everybody and then sits down, but he, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me to do X, Y, Z. Now, what we know is that if you are a Christian, that in the end of the book of Luke, Jesus says, you have my spirit. So the, if you are a Christian, the spirit of the Lord is on you. It is not just on Jesus. The same spirit that was anointing Jesus to do what he said is the spirit that is on you to participate in what he came to do. The same spirit that filled Jesus, that anointed Jesus to release the captives, to proclaim good news to the poor, to release the oppressed and to, uh, to, to bring sight to the blind is the spirit that you have. To not just, not just have Jesus meet you in your pain, but for him to meet you with a purpose. That's what he does. And we can participate with him. If you're a Christian, you have the spirit. Look, Jesus, Jesus even himself, what happens is he goes and preaches to a town. And this keeps happening in his ministry. He preaches to a town and they're like, stay here, you're awesome. Which obviously wouldn't that happen, right? Like, this is so great. Can you stay here and keep healing everybody and keep preaching? And he says, no. And he leaves. Because he says, there's other towns that need God's kingdom. There's other towns that need to experience God's favor. And when he gives the spirit to Christians, that's the same mission he gives them. He says, don't just stay here. Keep going to the next region and the next town and to the ends of the earth. If you're a Christian, part of how you respond that God has given favor in your life and he wants to bring more and more favor in your life, part of how you respond to that is by saying, okay, send me too. 
I don't just want your, I don't just want your salvation. I want you to send me. I don't just want your compassion. Yes, I accept your commission to participate with him in bringing his word into people's lives, whether those are friends or people that don't know him, by meeting tangible needs like he did, whether that's in your community or, listen, serving here at church on Sunday to participate with him. It says that that God gives, that Jesus gives, that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church to build up the body, to say, I want to be a part of this too. I don't just want to receive it. I want to give it. This is our joy to receive and our joy to give and to have a community of this, of people saying, I want to receive from God and give from God. This is how we respond. Look, I don't don't know what you want. There's some reason that you're here. You want something, some relief from pain or or some joy that God brings into your life. You want something, and what Jesus says that he wants to bring is God's favor. In whatever area in your life that you need that, he says he wants to bring God's favor and give us a call to bring it to others. What if that's true? Come to him, receive that. When we take communion, you know what we remember? We remember the decisive act of God's favor and what opened it up to us. That Jesus on the cross, his body was broken, his blood was shed so that we could experience God's favor. So our sin could be released. So our captivity could be bought for us. And we could be free. So that through his blood, through his death, through his life, through his resurrection, we could experience God's favor. And then be sent to give that. So listen, we're going to respond. We're going to take communion for those of you that are Christians. We're going to sing a few songs. We're also going to, uh, we're starting kind of a monthly rhythm here in our church. I'm going to be in the back. And if anyone wants prayer for something, maybe you want prayer for healing. I can't promise you that God will heal you. But maybe you want prayer for healing. Maybe even one of the things particularly that we, we talked about is where you are, spiritual, emotional, physical. Maybe you, you just need prayer for something in your life. I, I don't know. But during our kind of song time and communion time, I'm, I'm going to be in the back and I'd love, to, I'd love to pray for you and ask God to bring his power into your life. Okay, would you pray, pray with me now? Father, thank you that you give to us Jesus and, and God that you want to bring your favor into our life. You're not trying to restrict us. You're not trying to burden us. You're not trying to harm us. You want to bring your favor into each person's life here. Lord, I pray that we would experience that. I pray even today, even as we sing, even as we take communion, even as we pray, Lord, that for those that feel captive, you would release. For those that are blind and don't even know it, that you would give sight. For those that are oppressed, Jesus, that you would bring freedom, even now, Lord, into their life. For those that are experiencing poverty, spiritually, physically, that you would bring good news to them, Lord that we would experience your favor. We need your favor. We don't want to do life on our own. We don't want to be too familiar with you. Gotta pray even now, let your favor rest on us. In your name, Jesus, amen.